impressionable has always been a great word, I, I think, um, for the way that wax wax can operate. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I kind of dually like it because it literally um, talks about, you know, a kind of pressure to impress. But then mm-hmm. um, I think I also like it in the in the more human emotional way too that you can be like impressed upon as a as a person and and I often am trying to find language that I think can traverse those boundaries so that um you know a form or material I'm working with um you know even though it's it's obviously not of my body or of any specific person it can still speak to a kind of way that people are impressed upon or that um people can be um, um, influenced or changed um, between mm-hmm. one another or between the things in their world, et cetera. So I just love how it sort of breaks down the, bo- the boundaries of, of, you know, oneself and everything outside of them a little bit. I'm Kelly Akashi, and I'm going to be installing my work Cultivator at the Aspen Art Museum and uh, this work was made very recently in 2020. It features a larger-than-life bronze cast of a hand of mine, as well as stainless steel tubing that wraps around the fingers and supports glass flowers on top that were all hand-blown by my team and myself in Los Angeles. How did you start making art? How did you um, decide that you wanted to, to be an artist? I didn't want to be an artist <laughs> most of my life when I was growing up, at least, um, my entry point into art was through photography. Um, I don't think I really understood Mm -hmm. what contemporary art was when I was growing up. Um, I understood, um, painting to a certain extent and I, I didn't, I didn't like it. I wasn't drawn to it. Um, and, and so I didn't really have a kind of, you know, a, a bit, a large, a larger, uh, view of what was happening in contemporary art at the time. It wasn't something, um, I don't know, that I, I could really access. Um, so I often feel like I can really relate to people who, who have a difficulty finding an entry point um, into contemporary art as a result. Um, my entry point, though, my specific important moment was when I was, I don't know how old I was, I was probably 12. Um, and I got a spin magazine, which I don't even know if spin magazine (laughs) exists anymore, but that's, that was like a really nineties kind of music culture magazine. And, um, in that magazine, um, there was an article of Nan Golden, um, surprisingly enough. And, um, I was just totally fascinated by this article and these images that they had in this spin magazine, um, that just came my way when I was 12 and, um, I became totally enamored with that kind of photography. So, um, at some point, um, uh, I really decided I wanted to pursue, um, some kind of photographic practice. And, um, initially I wanted to do photojournalism, which, um, is pretty far from, I'd say contemporary fine art, but that, that was my entry point into art was this desire to, um, uh, document the world around me that was inspired through Nan Golden's work in this spin magazine. <laughs> um, yeah. 
it's an unusual, <laughs> unusual entry point, but, um, I didn't, yeah, I didn't really, um, know how to relate to the work I would see, um, the, the handful of times I went to LACMA growing up or, um, my mother has always volunteered at something called the Venice Art Walk, which is um, here in L.A. And it goes to support the Venice Family Clinic um, and provide free health care to people in the area. Um, so I did and as a preteen, I did start going to these artist walks. But um, even then, I, it was it was like I didn't really have the education to understand like what my relationship was to contemporary art. It's a, it's a funny way <laughs> to explain it, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I love that though. I love that you like happened to to pick up this magazine or someone gave it to you or what have you. It's always that sort of roundabout way of, of coming to, to what it is that you end up sort of pursuing. The bronze hand that will be installed on the Crown Commons, this big, big three and a half foot piece. Um does sort of include this I don't want to call it disgusting per se but this really like you can call it you can call it it disgusting it's been severed at the wrist (laughs) yeah Um, that is an outcome of the look so Um, yeah yeah. can can you maybe speak more to how it how it takes on that look um I've made enough hand casts that I you know, I've gotten used to how they look, but I don't, I cannot forget the first hand cast I made because it was um, definitely disturbing to see a piece of your body accurately rendered and disembodied. I can only imagine. <laughs> um, it's, it, it was a very disturbing feeling um, that I've never talked about with anyone before, but I'm sharing with you now. Um, the reason for the drippings, you know, um, one hand, there's a technical reason, but on the other hand, I've always wanted to embrace it as a really important part of the work. Um, because I think it's a moment where, um, you know, if I'm thinking about different kinds of growth, different timelines, and then thinking about these as like evidence of a kind of, you know, in a, like related to geology, let's just say. Um, I, you have kind of three, three instances of that coming together in every single handwork I make. So you have, um, the growth of my fingernails, which was the main reason I started casting my hands was I was trying to capture what I thought of as mini geological formations on my body. They can get very long. I, I really try not to cut them unless something urgent has happened. Uh, (laughs) But they kind of grow until my fingernails grow until they um, just naturally break off. I don't, I don't really cut them or trim them otherwise. And that's just, that's just how it's been my whole life. Anyways, you have three instances in the hands of um, these sort of what I'll call geological instances um, and different kinds of timelines. So one is like the fingernails, which are little mini geological formations on the body. Um, another one would be those drippings, which um, are layered. So they become like uh, stalactites, you could say. Um, so they're maybe pointing out the, they're like a geology of the process that you could investigate. And then there's the hands themselves, which um, I cast 
um, you know, periodically, and the idea is to cast them for the rest of my life. So um, after, you know, I don't know how many decades, I don't know how long it'll be around, but the idea is that at some point you'll start to see the hands change mm -hmm. um, as I get older. Moving on though to bronze, it's it's really fascinating that you start with wax. And so wax then becomes, you know, is still a part of the process, even though it's maybe not part of the finished product. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, my first bronze works were um, different candles I had made or melted mm -hmm. um, in different ways. Um, and then those were cast directly into bronze. Okay. Um, and... Yeah, I think when I did that, um, what I loved about it was that I was able to make this, or I mean, make is a funny word to be using, but, um, you know, pretty standard question as a photographer, right? Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, when I was making these candles, I was essentially either building them up by dipping them and forming them, or just taking a candle that I had and then melting it in a specific way. And what was really exciting was I felt like it was always very hard for me to talk about this this in-between moment that a candle could have where it's half burned, half melted, um, you know, really trying to get people to understand the present state of this object, um, which, of course, part of the present state is that it it holds its history, it holds its past um you know, instances of burning in the drippings, but then it also points to kind of a future change that could occur if somebody were to burn it further. When I cast them into bronze, I was able to really speak to that moment because I felt like um, they were operating as, you could say, relics of what they were before. Um, so through that, I felt like I was able to exercise two different modes. Um, and with the wax that I use now, which is always a part of every single bronze work I do and a part of the crystal cast works, mm -hmm. which is, again, why I distinguish different glass, glass mediums, um, I'm able to play around with the wax or get it in a certain kind of state and then speak to that in the actual casting and get people, I think, to really, really see, um, you know, where the, let's just say the handwork uh, maybe comes apart where its boundaries are um, disintegrating or where it's like built up and become almost like geological through the way that the drippings form at the wrist. This has all brought me to this memory of one piece that you had at your show at um, Tanya Banakdar Gallery in New York, where um, there's this one glass, small glass piece that includes these individualized strands of hair um, do you recall? Do you remember the small thing? glass? There's like hair small... coming out of it. Oh, oh, oh! You mean the, yes. the vessel? Yes. The vessel. Sorry, I don't. Sorry, to me, that's not small. That's what I was confused. I was. No, no, no. It's all for sculpture. So I think it's like. No, no, no. You're right. You're right. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. So there's something so striking and bizarre about that piece. It's like human-like. But it's also this odd fragment, and I think it really speaks to so much of what um, attracts me to your work. Just it, it's just eerie. 
it's like I know it, but I don't know it. I yeah. I have to kind of walk around it and look <laughs> at it closer. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's great. This is great to hear, Simone, actually. No, I mean, especially that you have to walk around it to understand it because I, you know, for me, that is like the most important thing. <laughs> that that would be that's a great response to the work. I it's it's funny because when I'm making work, and sometimes I talk to the students about this, I always say when you're trying to talk about something that's not visible, um, that sometimes if you point enough fingers at it, huh. it makes a space. You know, it makes a shape, um, kind of like like a barrel with a hole. You know, the hole doesn't mm-hmm. exist without the barrel. Um, so, you know, this idea that you have to walk around it to understand it. I'm like, yeah, I mean, for me, making the work that was at the Hammer Courtyard with a many with many of my works, if you look at them, they're just never, um, they're just, for me, they're not really ever one-sided works. They're at the very least two-sided. Um, and for me, it's like thinking about all those vantage points, how they add up, and then somebody spending the time to see it in the round and put together everything they're seeing to try to get at the space between all of that information is how a lot of the works operate. They're not really um, for uh, these like iconic images. They're not really for, um, you know, sound bites. They're, they're things that have a lot of different um, approaches and um, they're specifically made that way to talk about things that go a little beyond um, yeah, like a sound bite. Makes me think of the way that um, viewers and audiences will encounter Cultivator. Uh, I envision um, people walking down Spring Street or Hyman Street and sort of seeing it from afar or even seeing it from across the street and thinking, what is that? And then crossing the street to sort of get this closer look at it, um, which is really something exciting about. Uh, putting a work outside, but then also specifically putting it um, in the in public and not just, you know, putting it on our roof deck sculpture garden. And so um, it's exciting to hear the way that you sort of like how people approach the work. I think we'll have a lot of different ways of people sort of seeing it and, you know, coming at it from different vantage points. Yeah, yeah. I'm really... You know, I can only imagine so much about how it's going to look before it uh-huh. comes together. Um, but, um, you know, from what I can guess, from what I know, I don't want to tell people what, what they're going to see. But um, I kind of think it's going to be difficult for people to reconcile the That's so exciting, though. And the extreme... I'm sorry, the extreme beauty of the glass. Yeah, that um, contrast. Because, come on, everyone knows, everyone knows glass looks amazing in the sunlight. That's why we have stained glass. That's why churches make, like, insane stained glass. (laughs) Because sunlight and glass are just, they're awesome, you know, literally awesome, you know. But, But understanding that this is all one work, that these aren't, like, two separate elements, um, you know, I think, that's going to be really exciting to see people try to reconcile with this at the scale that it's at. I want to 
shift gears a little bit and ask you um, more about the flowers, if if you're able to to speak about them. Um, so the flowers that are included, um, these oversized glass flowers and leaves are all local to the Roaring Fork Valley, which is super exciting for us. Um, how did you pick them? Yeah, the, the choice of the flowers came from a few, uh, were decided for a few reasons. Uh, one of them was that it was the winter, so I was seeing what I could even find images of online. Um, another reason was that... Um, you know, I had to look and see what kind of flowers could even be recreated in glass at the scale that I, I made them. Um, and then, of course, I wanted the colors to work well together. I didn't want to make a sculpture of flowers all the same color. So I did take some liberties in figuring out um, the kind of overall color composition of the piece. But I also feel like any gardener would do the same thing in their flower beds. What role does language play in your work? Um, and why did you title the work Cultivator? I'm really curious about that. Um, I like to think of my titles as being a way that I can show a connection between different works throughout time. I don't work in, um, let's say, um, series that exist for a single exhibition. I, I see a lot of works as revealing themselves and making connections throughout you know, the whole duration of my practice. So that's, I usually use titles to bridge those connections. Um, Cultivator in particular um, is a new uh, body of work that I've been developing uh, just for the past six months or so. I think I made the first Cultivator in October. And for me, um, these works um, always bridge uh, the, the human hand and nature And the way that I think about um, the title functioning with the work is that um, cultivator for me is a way to address um, this kind of language in society of equating power with violence. Um, You constantly hear people, and I I hear it all the time as an artist, um, people saying like, you killed it, (laughs) you know, and um, I I just have gotten, I've had a lot of problems with, um, you know, feeling excited. about embracing this language of violence in relationship to some kind of success. Um, so this work and this title, Cultivator, is more about encouraging um, a kind of growth um, or progression in relationship to cultivation, which, um, of course, is a word that encourages this idea of like harmony, of working together, of not thinking about um, these, you know, um, binary oppositions of me versus everyone else, um, or humans versus nature, but one where everything can work together and flow. And it's about a mutual, um, cultivation. There's this really interesting contrast of different materials. There's the bronze that's heavy and permanent, the glass that's fragile. And then, um, the flowers, the flora and fauna that we're going to include um, the, itself that will, you know, will only last for a season or two. And when you see this beyond its presentation at the Aspen Art Museum, it will have, you know, different flowers. Um, it was intended to um, open in March, and our plan had been to fill the flower bed uh, with snow and then sort of make a decision once flowers would would bloom in the spring um and now i think when we present it it will it will include flowers but it's just interesting that there's this 
different material contrast. And were you thinking about this contrast? And how does the idea of permanence and impermanence uh, manifest in, in Cultivator? Um, I think of it, I, I've made these candle works at some point, I think it was in 2016, mm-hmm. where after I had been making candles for a few years and then casting them for a few years, I started bringing them together and um, making candle holders from bronze casts of candles and then intertwining um, wax candles over it that could be burned. I don't know. It's like I want both. You could say this is a work where I want both. I want to, um, you know, have these kinds of different uh, recreations of uh, things from the natural world, whether it's a cast of my hands or fingernail growth. Um, or flowers that I've been looking at that are, some of them are from Aspen, some of them are from my own imagination. Um, But then that over that and around that, um, you know, real flowers can grow and kind of go through their natural processes. And also I'm hoping really intertwine and um, kind of embed the sculpture uh, within them, if you know what I mean. Like I keep thinking Mm -hmm. about that way too, that the hand, um, is going to be in this, in this, um, I mean, in this bed of flowers. And to me, that's a really, um, I don't know, that's like the, the framework or the site or the, the plant that I want them to be on. My decision to incorporate the local um, uh, flora of Aspen into the work, um, I, I think there's something about understanding the kind of like moment we're all in and I don't mean like society I mean as individuals um really respecting um not like presentness with an object but like in the self or amongst um things and this kind of you know very um precarious (laughs) life balance that we have right now I mean we have always had it but right now I feel like it's more Um, It's expressing itself more than ever. Um, But this has always been, you know, I think a big drive of of all the work I make. And to now take flowers that will blossom and and grow during the time of the piece, during the spring, summer, um, you know, seasons, um, I'm hoping that, you know, as people maybe recognize those flowers in the sculpture and then... um, walk around and explore Aspen and maybe notice some of the flowers in, in the, in the city. Um, it can kind of like draw them back to really, you know, I don't know that point of recognition being like really important and meaningful and, um, you know, giving attention to a flower in that moment that maybe could be inspired through recognizing it and relating it to the sculpture would be, um, you know, an exciting thing for me to hear is happening. I'm Simone Krug, assistant curator at the Aspen Art Museum, and you are listening to Blind Contour, our audio profile series featuring artists in their own words. For more episodes of the series, look for us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Spotify by searching Aspen Art Museum. Learn more about the museum and the series by visiting us at aspenartmuseum.org.